Really quick question. What's yeah. uh what do the kids say now instead of squares? Like, you know, the squares. Washed. The washed? <laughs> just washed. <laughs> okay, cool. So just let us know when you're ready, Cerise, and we'll start. Who comes to mind when you think of famous skateboarders? Tony Hawk, of course. And um Tony Hawk. Fact is, if you're not a skater, your idea of one is most likely a white guy. But do you think about skateboarders who are women, queer, or people of color? No, not really. Well, things are slowly but surely changing. I'm Gustavo Ariano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. It's Friday, November 5th, 2021. Skateboarding is a mainstay of California street culture from San Diego to San Francisco and beyond. It's so popular that LA County filled outdoor skate parks with sand during the pandemic so no one could grind on them. But the joke was on the squares and the washed, which is what the kids call squares nowadays, boomer. Skateboard sales surged during the pandemic and communities long marginalized from the sport are now making their own spaces. Today, we talk to a reporter who's covering this rise and hear from skateboarders themselves from all over the country about what keeps them so hooked on writing. Cerise Castle wrote about this growing community for the LA Times Image magazine, both as a chronicler of the scene and as a skater herself. Cerise, welcome to the Times. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so how did you get into skateboarding? Well, I've always skateboarded, but I have never been a trick skater. I grew up here in Southern California, and there was always a really strong culture of grabbing a skateboard to get from point A to point B. So throughout my childhood and when I was a teenager, I longboarded a lot um, to get from, you know, home to school, to bonfires on the beach, to meet up with my friends. But I would never go to the skate park and I never rode the traditional popsicle board and never attempted anything like an ollie or a kickflip. So I, I'm a total washed guy. So what's a popsicle <laughs> board? What's a longboard? What are all these tricks and why was it important or why did it bother you that you would see people doing that and you didn't see people that look like yourself in that. So a quick breakdown for you on the different types of boards. A popsicle board is the typical thing you think of when people say skateboarding. It has the rounded top and bottom and it looks like a popsicle stick. The long board has a more pointed end, like a spooky fingernail or something. <laughs> and those are more traditionally ridden on the boardwalk, on the street, and popsicle boards are more traditionally used in skate parks or to do tricks. I was always interested in learning how to do tricks, but it never really felt like something that I could do because these spaces were dominated by white men. And whenever I attempted to enter the space, I was leered at, people would physically prevent me from participating, whether that's skateboarding in front of me across my path, or just, you know, making it impossible for me to even enter the skate park. I was always welcome there to watch and flirt with the guys, yeah. uh, but never as an active participant. 
as an outsider, it just always seemed to be skateboarding was like surfing, which is very white, very bro-y, just doesn't want outsiders. And yet historically, at least we're into skate parts, we're shredding, we're doing all that stuff. Yeah. Thinking of popular skateboarders when I was growing up, you know, it was really just like Tony Hawk and other white guys like him. There never really was anyone that looked like me elevated by skateboarding culture. And I never saw people that looked like me um, participating in the skate park in the way that I wanted to. Why do you think skateboarding kept out people of color and, you know, queer folks for so long? Um, Unfortunately, when you have, you know, a group of people that is homogenous, especially when it's cisgender, heterosexual males and white males, I'll say, there's this tendency to just sort of bring the wagons together and form a circle and keep it that way, keep it just for them, which is really unfortunate because skateboarding is such a great community building tool. And it is sort of like outsider culture. Even when we're looking at white culture, skateboarding has always sort of been seen as something that is engaged in by the rebels, by people that don't necessarily fit into the dominant culture. And it's a lot like blackness or queerness, things that are you know, inherently rejected by that dominant culture as well. You would think that there would be more of a natural marriage between the two, but I still do experience anxieties and, you know, some of these feelings that I'm discussing when I enter the skate park alone. But I I hope that as more groups, you know, come together and find their way into the skate park, that changes. We'll be back after this break. So Cerise, the pandemic hits and you start noticing more POC and LGBTQ folks are getting into skateboarding. So you find out about this collective called Booze Cruise. Yeah, it was really serendipitous that I found out about Booze Cruise. I was just, you know, scrolling on Instagram as many of us do. (laughs) And I saw a post that a friend of a friend was hosting a skateboarding meetup for people of color and queer people. Um, And this meetup was really geared toward queer people of color. And in the pandemic, you know, we were all so isolated, seeing that there was a gathering of queer people of color, of which I am one, I was really excited. And it was around skateboarding, which is, you know, this thing that I've loved my whole life, but haven't really been able to engage with in a group like I had wanted to. So as soon as I saw that, I cleared my calendar and began planning. And I showed up and it was really wonderful. It was a group of about 50 people, we gathered, we went for a ride along the Los Angeles River, and then we began teaching each other how to do different tricks. I learned how to ollie, which is something (laughs) that I've wanted to do for my entire life. And Um, what's an ollie? Sorry. An ollie is when you are able to lift the board up off the ground and come back down. 
Oh, just a quintessential skate move. So something you've always wanted to do. These previous spaces just never even gave you the opportunity to do so. And here you have booze crews just saying, hey, this is how you do it. Let's all do it. Exactly. And it it felt like coming home. It was something that I had always been looking for and it was never there. Um, and I'm so grateful to Yaya Chavez for starting this group and bringing us all together. Booze Cruise is all about um, giving a space, a safe space to non-binary, BIPOC, trans um, women who are learning how to skate, whether that be on a skateboard, whether that be on rollerblades or roller skates. Essentially what it is is just making sure that it is an inclusive space and safe one um, in a skate park. We meet once a week and I'm continuing to learn new skateboarding skills. I recently built my very first popsicle board and I went into the skate park for the first time and rode down the ramp. And it was quite a moment for me. What does skateboarding then as a whole have to do to continue to be more inclusive or just be more inclusive, period? I'm really happy to see groups like Booze Crews um, coming together and taking up space in the skate park and being, you know, unapologetic about who they are and, you know, maybe not being the best skaters in the park, but just through us being there, I've seen other people that, you know, you wouldn't have seen in the skate park, you know, a few years ago, like moms with their, you know, toddlers in the skate park. Um, we'll have people with young daughters come up to us and they'll see a bunch of femme people in there mm. and they'll say, wow, like, this is so great for my daughter to see this. One woman even said, her young daughter see honey like girls can skateboard too and they'll come back sometimes and skate with us and I think that's a really important part of it is just you know showing each other that hey like we can be here we can take up space here too this isn't you know just for them there's room for us Cerise thank you so much for this conversation thank you So what does it mean to make space at the skate park? You're asking the wrong square here. So let's give the mic to some booze cruisers out in Northeast Los Angeles. And I was like, listen, I need to channel my inner child and I need to learn how to skate. Like this is this not an option anymore. Cause like as a child, like, cause I'm trans. So like growing up perceived female, you're always like really intimidated by all these like men at the skate park. And you're like, hey, no safe spaces. I was always like a bigger child and a bigger person. So I didn't think that it was possible for me to skateboard. I bought a skateboard freshman year of college when I moved to New York thinking like, oh, I'm gonna learn how it's gonna be so cool. And then I realized that there are a lot of cars in the street. <laughs> and it's actually like, there's no space in all of Manhattan to really try to learn how to skate except the skate parks. And I was not trying for that. So I just like kept my board around. But then when I moved out here, I figured I would try to learn again. Um, and yeah, it's been going well so far. You will hear us cheer. It doesn't matter if you just are on your board. Like, there is an aroar, a roar of applause for every single time that someone drops in, does something, like we gas each other up. And like with them in the parks, like if you just like watch guys, like sometimes they'll hype each other up, but it's just like, it's usually just like silent. And sometimes I'm just like, are you guys having fun? That was Matt Passini, Taylor Robert Sampson, and Virginia Fontaine. 
After this break, we hear from skateboarders in Washington, D.C. and the Navajo Nation. Stay tuned. My name is Katia Montero. Um, I'm a social media manager and law office admin by day. And we're at Shaw Skate Park in Washington, D.C. We got some folks out here skating, some other folks posted up, chilling. We got a dog, having a good time. <laughs> it's a nice day and it's early, so there's not that many people here, but it's good. When I turned eight, that's when, like, you know, Jackass was, like, a big thing and, like, you know, Bam Margera was, like, huge. And I remember watching those shows, being way too young to watch those shows. And um, my cousins were really into it, and so they would skate, and so I would, like, use their skateboard, and I would, like, roll down the hill. Um, and I really wanted to go to skateboarding camp. I really want to go to Woodward. It's, like, a skate summer camp for kids that, like, everyone, like, wants to go to when they're younger. And, I mean, it's bread, so, like, if you have money, you can go, but my mom was like, no, you're not going. When I started skateboarding, that's, like, when the social media boom really happened for, like, non-men skaters that were, like, posting a lot of clips, and, like, the community I saw was, like, really growing, and just, like, the access that I had, like, to other people on Instagram was, like, oh, I see people that, like, look like me that are doing this, and, like... I can do it too. So yeah, shout out to Instagram. Last year, there was a protest that was organized by Rashad Murray about George Floyd and people coming together and skateboarding was just like a vehicle to get around and take up space like in the street. You just see how like social ills seep into like every facet. Like skateboarding has the same issues with racism as the outside world and same issues with you know misogyny and misogynoir and obviously things were really ripe um george floyd murder happened and there was a lot of buzz but it's like as somebody that has been like a witness to a lot of police violence like in person and like, my friends have been affected by it and seeing it online, like, I don't know, I was just tired. I kind of checked out, honestly, mentally. Um, but that day, it felt like, I don't know, I felt like I was less there to support, like, my feelings about things and just kind of, like, to support, like, something bigger. The skaters in DC and I'm sure in every city that have been doing it for longer than a decade feel very protective over it and which I understand but that tied into like a boys club and you're just there and like somebody tries to poke fun of you or see how far they can push you or see that what they can take from you and you stand your ground and there's drugs and alcohol involved and like this weird I'm thinking machismo all of that together is just kind of a recipe for disaster. So like if you're, you know, a woman or non-cis men um, and you stand up for yourself, like that's seen as a challenge to a lot of people.
skateboarding really brought me out of like a hole that I was in for like 17 years of my life. It gave me a reason to get up and challenge myself. And I think it teaches you lessons that you can put into every part of your life. I, instead of being like, I can't do this, I would be like, I can't do it yet. So that's something that's priceless that I can't let go of. Yat ish a dior green odian shit, Torich eating and shlip, my edish gives me bushes chain, a shinheen, deshiche, bilagane, deshinella. Hello, everyone. I just introduced myself in Navajo. My name is Dior Greenwood. I'm 26. I was born and raised on the Navajo reservation and now um, triangulate between Arizona and California and the Navajo Nation. When I got my skateboard, I realized that there was a skate park close to home about 30 to 45 minute drive. But the skate park, well, when I got there, I, it wasn't on concrete. It was on like the roughest asphalt you can think of. So like if you even just fell, you know, you would be like, you would have little chunks out of your skin and it was terrible. This is kind of crazy, but that's where I discovered who is like a big mentor to me now. My name is Cecily Todicini. Currently today, she is Navajo Nation's like top number one female street skateboarder. And, um, you know, she, she's done a lot for the community. She's um, managed to replace that skate park in Gallup, New Mexico with one that's actually, you know, a skate park, you know, has the right concrete and the right obstacles and just the right environment. I went through, I would like to think like the phases of skateboarding, you know, I got into it just to learn balance. And then um, I moved to the city at uh, 17 to pursue higher education. And when I got to Phoenix, Arizona area, I seen everywhere was paved. I didn't have a vehicle, so I used it as a survival tool, skate home my groceries and my water. And then that's when I said, okay, I wanna go into a skate park to, you know, do some tricks. I entered my first skate contest and after I wanted a prettier skateboard, you know, something that motivated me. So I was just spray painting on top of skateboards just to make it more tribal and more more native and more appealing to me and um, pretty, like uh, rug weavings. When I would show up to a, an area with around like native youth, I showed them my skateboard that I spray painted and they seen the tribal artwork on it. I could see the expression in their face like they've never seen something like that before. And they wanted to like pick it up and hold it. I looked at my older brother who makes Native American flutes and he fully makes them from scratch. He gave me my first wood burner and told me that I could burn things without being destructive. So he gave me a wood burner and inlaying turquoise or, or coral or, you know, inlaying things you would normally inlay into silver jewelry into skateboards. I seen like just the most uplifting responses like I've had people cry when they held my boards I've had little kids who never wanted to give the board back and this is all of people in my community and they told me like 
yay, go, keep going, keep doing this. This is what we want to see. This is showing everybody that, you know, we're not extinct. We're here and we're happy to be here and we skateboard and we bicycle and, you know, everything everybody does. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Next week, more random randomness, the history of violence against Chinatowns, the long march of marijuana legalization, and our fraternities finally over? Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, and Melissa Kaplan. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editors are Shawnee Hilton and Lauren Rabb, and our theme music is by Andrew Epen. Special thanks to Julia Turner, Hector Becerra, and Shelby Grad. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back next week with all the news in this month. Gracias.